Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Okay, listen, we've barreled into 2020 with hearts on fire, believing God for abundantly more in 2020. In these past few weeks, we've taken time to look inwardly, uh, to grow in our sensitivity to whatever the Lord's been calling us to do, right? We've written down vision. We put it on our vision board. Y'all see our vision board out in the lobby? Does that look awesome? Pastor Josh did that. It looks incredible. We've, we've, five people loved it, Josh. I, I hope that's, so we've challenged you, though, to cast vision for yourself and, and for your family. But we've also cast vision collectively as a church, talked about the things we want to do and and how we want to see God move in us and through us. And and just to bring back to the forefront, um, kind of these three scriptures as we move on in 2020, but also the next decade, these are the three scriptures that are driving everything we do as a church. First one's found in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. It says this, Jesus replied, and this is, this is after a conversation where Jesus is confronted with the question, Jesus, if, if you had to pick one commandment, what's the greatest commandment of all? Like, like you, you got to pick the best one. Which one would you say? And, and here's his response. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Like for us in, in 2020, in the next decade, it, it, this is a commandment. This, this, isn't an, this isn't an option. This isn't what we do when we feel like it. We, every day, we as the body of Destiny Church Marshfield, we're going to wake up every day, every week. We're going to love God with our whole heart, our whole mind, with every ounce of our being. Amen? This is the first and greatest commandment, and this is going to drive everything we do as a church. But then he says a second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, this is going to be a house that we love each other relentlessly. We love each other unconditionally, right? We we challenge each other, but we make room for each other's faults. This is a place where we can come and come alive in Christ, right? This is not optional. These are commandments to love God and to love people. So everything that we do as a church is, is run through those filters. Is this us loving God? Is this us loving people? Or are there ulterior motives here? Because if so, away with it. Next verse, driving everything we do as a church. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Like, listen to me, fellas, I'm the boss, okay? Listen to me, with all the authority I got, I got something for you. Go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, something we want to do here. We want to, we want to love God and we want to love people, but we also want to shape and mold disciples of Christ. We want to raise up Jesus followers out of this house who then raise up Jesus followers out of this house who then raise up Jesus followers. This is kingdom building and this church is going to build the kingdom. Amen. 
Okay, last one, and then this is really, for all of 20, uh, 2020, we're running with this theme, all in. Like, we're all in. We're all in. No more, no more one foot in, one foot out. I go to this church on that weekend, this church on that. No, 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 no. We're all in. Okay, we're, we're committed. I love this, Acts 2, and this is why it says all in out in the lobby. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. It says all, say all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Listen, for, for us to be the body that God, God's called us to be, for us to operate in unity, for us to get to know each other, for me to know you well enough to call you out on where I need to call you out, to love you in the ways you need to be loved, to acknowledge you in the ways you need to be acknowledged, for us, for us to pray together, right? We, we, have to, we, we have to be devoted. But it can't just be a couple of us. It says all the believers, if we're going to model this year after the New Testament church, which we see most clearly in Acts, come on, we all have to be all in. They were all devoted. And my prayer is we would all be devoted. As this year treks on, and it, it continues to go on, it says... And I love these following verses because when all the believers devoted themselves, when everybody was all in, watch what follows. A deep sense of awe came over them all. Anybody ever been in this season you felt like, man, I'm just, I'm just dry? Like I'm just spiritually dry. I haven't felt this nearness. I haven't felt the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. See, when communities coming together and doing life together and the church is being the church, a deep sense of awe comes over them. Does anybody want to live with that awe? You know, like when you're 14 years old, you come back from summer camp and you're just living with awe, right? I think we can do it all the time. The youth pastor says, that's right. Come on, amen. <laughs> it says, and it says, and then the apostles, they performed many miraculous signs and wonders. You know, this, this was, this was a, a fertile atmosphere for the presence of God to move in divine ways. I want to cultivate that here. And all the believers met together in one place. They shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared their money with those in need. They were generous. They helped people. They impacted their communities. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared meals with great joy and generosity, and all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. This is, a, this is a people that pursued God, and because they did so, they loved their life. It's their life. It had great purpose. And it says that each day the Lord added to their fellowship. So as, as we've read through these passages, the, these three passages right here, um, we, we've declared that this is who we're called to be as a church. This is who Destiny Church is going to be. And we ask that collectively, we commit to this vision of this year being all in. And I think a lot of times, like, when the new year starts and comes around and, you know, we, we, we set our resolutions and we set our goals, I think it's easy to stay fixed on the resolution coming out of January. But as the year treks on, it's like we kind of lose focus and we just get back into the routine and 
I got to get the kids ready and I got to get to church and I got to, oh man, I got to get the sermon done and we, you know, we got to practice worship. Come on. You know, Joe's been late to worship practice 16 times. Come on. You know, I think it's easy where, I think in January, it's easy to have our hearts fixed and our, and our thoughts fixed on, on the vision. But again, as trials come, as, as busyness bleeds into our schedules, it's easy to slip back into the routine of what's comfortable. And instead of the vision driving us, vision begins to dissolve. And anytime you cast vision, anything worth dreaming of, it, it usually isn't accomplished overnight, right? Like it, it usually takes some time. It takes diligence, commitment, devotion, a removal of feelings, and an application of faithfulness, right? And I found that one of the best ways to fulfill long-term vision, you can write this down if you're taking notes. One of the best ways to fulfill long-term vision is to commit to a daily set of values. Our values, as we apply values, they'll carry us to our vision. But if core values are not put in place, it's easy to forfeit the vision. It's easy to lose sight of the vision. We can scream, we're all in. I'm all in. We're all in. Till we're blue in the face. But, but it won't matter if we don't know what being all in looks like. How do we, how am I all in? I want to be all in, but how do I do it? I, I need some direction. I need a compass. And I think our, those core values can be that compass we need that'll lead us to the vision that's ahead. So this morning, I want to unveil the seven core values of Destiny Church. This is going to be a little different this morning. It'll be preachy, but it's also kind of like, you know, we're, we're getting y'all on board. This is our last week of this all-in series, and this is kind of that last piece. But these seven core values are who we want to be as a church. And you'll notice that none of them say, you know, like, worship and pray. Yeah, those are in those three verses. We want to we want to we want to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, right? We want to love others. We 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 uh, want to make disciples. But but these are the the fabric, the attitude of this house. Okay, so when I don't say you know pray and worship, understand those are assumed. That that's what we're gonna do. That's who we are. Is that is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, and I believe if we commit like. I think if we commit to these core values, we'll, we'll look back on a, an abundance of fruit from our faithfulness. And I believe that 2020 will be the greatest year we've had as a church strictly because we were all in and we committed ourselves. If, if we all commit to being all in on our seven core values, I think we'll be more united than we've ever been to because we'll all have the same vision, the same vision that we're running with. I read this quote this week. It says this, a church that effectively develops, articulates, and appropriates its core values can remain clear on what it believes about itself and focus on what God calls it to do. Okay? It can remain clear on what it believes about itself and focused on what God calls it to be and do. And that's what we want to do. So when we have our huddles, uh, with our volunteers before, we're going to talk about our core values. This is who we are. 
when Josh does his devotional with his worship team and his production team, he, he's going to talk about our core values. This is who we are. When our, when, our, when our kids pastor, Joni Day, meets with her team and her leaders, she's going to talk about our core values because this is who we are. Like, this is who we are. This is the fabric of who we are. And every great organization has a set of core values that drives the vision. Anyone, anyone part of a business or a company and you know you have core values? Like, this is who we are, okay? Y'all ready? Let's pray. Jesus, um, Father, you are, you are refining us. It's moments like these, God, where I pray that we would grab hold and we'd allow it to happen. Father, as we've dug and talked and prayed about these core values, I believe you're in them. And it's, and it's a part of the vision and your heart that you have for this house. So help them to take root in, in our souls, God, so we can be, as Destiny Church, all that you've called and created us to be. As we, as we read your word, help us to not just hear it, but also do it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, our executive team has spent weeks piecing these seven core values together. And I'm fired up because I have the responsibility of getting to share them with you. But before I do, I want to challenge you with this. Let these values bleed outside of the building into your homes, into your workplaces, right? Into your jobs. Let these shape you as a believer and as a member of Destiny Church. Y'all ready for number one? Here we go. Number one, we are expectant. We are expectant. You can't be a person of faith and not be expectant, okay? We, we get a nice little biblical definition of faith in Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for. I'm confident about the thing I hope for. I'm expectant, right? Then it goes on to say, and, and, and so it's faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I can't see heaven. I've never seen Jesus with my eyes, but I'm expectant that at the end of this life, I'm going to be with my heavenly father forever. Amen? Come on. Expectancy is confidence in what will happen. I think a lot of times we come in here and it's like we just, we wait like, oh man, worship didn't get good to that second song. And then it was like, woo, God's here. What if when I rolled out of bed in that morning and I was in the shower trying to guess what the worship songs were going to be at church, I began to develop expectancy in my heart. So when I got in here, I was already expecting God to be in here. I was already expecting God to give me a word to go lay hands on somebody and pray for somebody. I'm expecting. I'm expecting. Notice our, our first value, it doesn't say we are wishers. We are wishers. I, I wish, I wish God would show up right? I wish this would happen. I wish that would happen. No, it's, it says we're expectant, right? We're confident about the things we hope for. We're sure about what we do not see. I think oftentimes it's easy for us to slip into wish mentality, especially as believers. We, we slip into wish mentality and we drift from expectancy. What, what do you say when you're expect? <laughs> there you go. Give it away. What do you say when you're, when, when you're uh, pregnant? I'm expecting, right? And there's a much different preparation that takes place than when I'm wishing for a baby. When I'm expecting a baby 
or when I'm wishing for a baby. Expectancy causes us to move. Wishing keeps us still. Expectancy means decisions need to be made. Wishing leaves room for doubt. Listen, when, when you know the baby is on the way, you're expecting. You got to get a car seat. You got to buy diapers. You got to make sure we got insurance so we can pay the hospital bills, right? We got to tell the family a baby's coming. We, we got to set up a, a big basketball and a little basketball and, or two big basketballs, a little one, put up a cute Instagram post that says baby baller in June 2020, you know, like you got to do the whole bit. <laughs> When I'm expectant that God is going to move in the hearts and the lives of the people in place of Destiny Church, I have to show up every week. I'm expectant. I don't, I don't want to miss what God's going to do. I don't want to miss how God's going to move in hearts, in lives, in minds. I'm expectant. I'm expecting God's going to add more souls and more people to this church. So, so I have to sow into the building fund because I'm expectant this place is growing. I'm expecting we're going to reach more people. I'm expecting we're going to impact this community. When I'm expecting that God hears and responds to my prayers, like, like when I expect God to respond to my prayers, I can't afford not to pray. I'm expecting. Destiny Church, we're going to be expecting. What would it look like if we became a group of people that didn't wait until worship sounded good enough? Right? We, we, we didn't wait until the sermon ministered to us. We, we, we didn't wait for the coffee to help us wake us up. But instead, we came in Sunday after Sunday expecting, ooh, this week's going to be better than the last. God's going to speak to me. I know Pastor Mark's got a word for me. That worship team, they bring it every week. And this week, they're going to be extra anointed. Come on. This is faith. Expectancy is faith. Paul in the New Testament, as I was studying for this message, I have shared this piece of scripture with, uh, with a group of men that I meet with, with uh, my volunteers, with I, I think with my staff. I've shared it with just about everybody I've had a conversation with this week. It's Paul. He's writing in Philippians. Listen to this. Like this is Paul. The, the, just to make it simple, I feel like this is a picture of Paul's mind when he wakes up in the morning. This is how he approaches his day. And, and right here, if we could grab hold of this, it would change everything. Philippians 1.20, it says this. This is Paul. He says, for I fully expect. Say expect. He says, I fully expect and I hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ. Now, I know this is churchy language, okay? But, but I'll break it down. As I have been in the past, I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or I die. Paul's saying, listen, when I wake up in the morning, I expect to not be ashamed. I expect to be bold. I expect to go into Walmart and talk to that cashier. I'll lay hands on him if I need to. I expect to be bold. I'm not going to be ashamed, right? He, he goes on to say here, I love the rest of it. He goes, for to me, he goes, for to me living means living for Christ. But then he says, dying's even better. He says, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So uh, I don't really know which is better. I I'm torn between two desires. I long to go be with Christ. Like, like Paul saying, I, I want to be in heaven. I want to be with Jesus. Like, like I want to be in, in paradise forever. But also I'm so expectant of how God's going to use me. He uses me in such a powerful way every day. So I'm thinking about two years down the road, all that I would have experienced in Jesus and through Jesus. I don't know. I'm torn. Paul is expectant. I think sometimes we, we, we call our family member and we pray with our family member and we're like, wow, 
I, I prayed. I don't normally do that. You know? Church. What if we were expecting? I'm, you know what? When I have lunch with my friends, I'm never going to leave the lunch table without praying. I'm going to be used for God in mighty ways. I'm going to be bold. I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm going to live with expectancy. Can I tell you, I, I, I'm expecting, uh, not, overcon- not overconfident, not arrogant, not cocky. No, no, no. I'm expecting. I'm full of faith that, that God is going to use me to pastor this house well. I'm expecting. I'm expecting that my church is going to invite people to come experience the goodness of God and the community of his people. I'm expecting. I have faith for it. I'm expecting that, the past, that there's going to be pastors and ministers that are raised up out of this house. I'm expecting. I'm expecting that our kids aren't going to turn away from God when they get in high school. I'm expecting, I'm expecting marriages are going to be restored in this house. I'm expecting we're going to see more people step into relationship with Jesus in 2020 than Destiny Church Marshfield has ever seen. I'm expecting. I'm all in. And if I'm all in, I'm committed to living a life with expectancy. I'm done wishing. I'm expecting. Amen? That's one. I got seven of these to get through. So, two. Y'all ready for two? We set the tone. We set the tone. In the New Testament, Paul's in prison, and he has a son in the faith named Timothy, and he's writing this letter to Timothy because Timothy's on his way to Ephesus to plant a church. So Paul, in essence, he's writing the the hand guide of how to plant a church and giving it to Timothy, okay? That's what's happened here. And he writes this letter, and Timothy's a young guy, but but he's gifted. He's anointed to teach, and he's been with Paul for a few years, and, and Paul believes in him to plant this church and pastor and lead it well. So he's, he's writing this. But Paul writes something really special in this letter. He says uh, to Timothy, he says in 1 Timothy 4.12, says, he says, listen, Tim, don't let anybody look down on you or think less of you because you're young. And then he commissions him. He says, I want you to be the example. AKA, hey, Tim, I want you to set the tone. I want you to be the example. I want you to set the tone with what you say. I want you to set the tone with the way you live, with your love, with your faith, and with your, and with your purity. And church, I want to say it's not just Pastor Mark's job to set the tone. It's not just my job. It's not just the worship team's job to set the tone. What if we all took ownership? We all decided, I'm going to set the example. I'm going to set the temperature. Right? I think many times we're really good at being the thermometer, not great at being the thermostat. So, so we can come into a room and say, oh, man, this is, this is negative. Like, man, they're negative, man. Man, that's just, man, it seemed like they were worshiping it all. Like, yeah, you're a thermometer. But, but what, what would happen if we became thermostats? Where everywhere we went with the power of God that's in me through his Holy Spirit, man, this is a negative environment. But you know what? Come on, I'm going to bring joy. Y'all are negative, but I'm going to be joyful because that's who I am, man. I'm a member of Destiny Church. Everywhere I go, I set the tone. I walk into work. I say, how are y'all? Praise the Lord. Y'all, re- y'all ready to do this day? Uh, we're tone setters, right? We set the tone. 
That's who we are as Destiny Church. One, we're expecting, I'm going to have to go off my notes or else I'm going to go way over time here. So we're going to start going off the cusp here. I think I probably got about two hours of info on here. I'm only a two and I got like 10 minutes. So that's okay. We set the tone. Amen? All right. One, we're expectant. One, we're expectant. Two, we set the tone. Y'all ready for three? Three. We're better together. Everybody say better together. Come on, everybody hold hands with the person next to you. Come on, say we're better together. That's good. One single guy just got blessed. Amen. Come on, you're welcome. You're welcome. Come shake my hand after church, pal. Acts 2, verse 42, it says this. Josh is next to my wife. No, I'm just playing. Here we go. Acts 2, 42. I'm just playing. All the believers, say all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals. Okay, they were together, all of them. They weren't, no one was left out. It was all the believers. And then we see Paul, as he's writing a letter to Corinthians to help them get their act together, to say the least. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the authority of Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. He says, let there be no divisions in the church. He says, rather be of one mind, united in purpose and thought. I love that. United in purpose and thought. Let's all be all in. We're all about the vision. We're all about it. We're better together. And I think if there was just a couple of us who were all in, I think we could impact this community. I think we could do amazing things. Just a couple of us could. I think Jesus could use us in mighty ways. But I think if all of us were all in, forget about it. Forget about it. For real. We're better together. One, we're expectant. Two, we set the tone. Three, we're better together. Four, we're generous with our time, talent, and treasure. Acts 2, verses 44 through 45, it says, And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and they shared the money with those in need. You know, when I, when I have to describe God, when I have to describe the, the characteristics of God, it's hard to describe God without the word generous, right? Because it's just a part of who he is. It's in the fabric of who he is. John three sixteen, the verse that even non-believers know, we all know the verse, God so loved the world that he gave. You know, my wife was talking about this verse not too long ago in uh, one of our staff devotionals, and, and she says, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only. And she said, you know, it's not like God had this litter of kids. And he said, here's one. No, 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 he gave everything he had, his one and only, because he's generous. And if we're going to be image bearers of our God, we need to be generous. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, it says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but, but the one who plants generously will get generous crop. And there's a calling on this house to be a generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure. And, and when I say, what do you mean our time, talent, and treasure, uh, if it's not self-explanatory enough, listen, we're, we're generous with our time. 
we send out a call, man, we, hey, there, there's this house that needs to be painted. There's this old, old lady who needs a fence, whatever it is. Man, I, I know I had some things on the schedule, but man, I'm going to be generous with my time. I'm going to give it up, right? You, you got talents. Man, I don't, I don't want to commit to the worship thing every week. Man, I know God gave me this big, happy, jolly personality, but uh, I don't feel like serving at church and shaking hands and making blessing people, making people feel good. I don't feel like doing that, you know? No, be generous with the talents God's given you. You know why? Because they're not even yours. They're not even yours. We're going to be generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure, right? And here's the deal. You sow into the kingdom, God's going to give it back to you. He promises that. And he'll probably give you back more than you sowed in anyway. That's what we also see. So come on, that frees us up to give. That empowers us to give. And maybe there's some people in the church, or you're sitting in here, and you're like, man, I got time, but that's about it. I don't have much talent. I don't have much treasure. And there's this little story in Mark where, you know, they're in the church, or the big wigs, the rich guys, they come in, and they're dropping all this money. They're offering all this money, and then there's the widow, right? And she drops in two coins, and it was everything she had. But I think that's what pleases the Lord, not about how much you give. It's not about the number. It's about your heart. Like, where are you, where are you giving from? Are you, are you being generous with what the Lord's given you? Amen? One, we are expectant. Two, we set the tone. Three, we're better together. Four, generous with our time, talent, and treasure. Number five, we create five-star experiences. Pastor Mark, we're not a hotel, Right? We create five-star experience. Well, well, like, do you just want to create consumer Christians, Pastor Mark? Like, you know, do, do you want to, if we do that, aren't we just going to create people who want a good experience at church? And I would say, ultimately, we want to create a five-star experience for two major reasons. One, to get good reviews on Google. <laughs> for two reasons. I think when we create a five-star experience, it's about two things, love and excellence. Two things that I believe pleases the Lord. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. So, yeah, here at Destiny Church, we're going to cultivate a culture that goes above and beyond for others. My goal is if you're coming here, you don't have to, you don't have to touch a door. Your coffee's hot, and we're going hu- to hug you and love you, right? Yes, that toilet is going to be wiped clean for you, right? Because we love you, amen? We're, we're, we're going to have kids teachers that go above and beyond for their students. Our volunteers are going to make sure you don't have to touch a door. Our toilets are clean. Our coffee's hot. I saw Jesus walk through crowds and he stopped and he took time for people no one wanted to even touch or associate with. And the reality is maybe you come from a home, maybe you got a nice family and you feel loved and you feel comforted, but you know what? Every once in a while, there's gonna be someone who walks through our doors and they're gonna feel valued and they're gonna feel loved more than they have in a long time because we created a five-star experience. I don't think people should be walking away from Chick-fil-A feeling more love than they do from Destiny Church, right? So, and, and then uh, we're also, we're going to put in the extra effort, you know, to keep this house clean, 
to, to decorate our sign tables, right? To uh, make sure lights and, and screens work and to ensure our parking lots are, are paid or paved and shoveled. And because Colossians 3, 23 through 24, this is the excellent side. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as you're working for the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Listen, this is, this is some people might walk in here and get offended. Oh my gosh, they just, they blast the smoke and they, and they play the lights. And listen, listen, you, you weren't in here. You weren't in here when our worship team was on their hands and feet trying to thread these wires through this room. You weren't in here when people were covered in this black paint that's on the ceiling. Why? To create a five-star experience for our people because we want to be excellent for the Lord. This stuff, this is worship for us. This is worship. When, when we got volunteers showing up to clean our church, it's not just cleaning, that's them worshiping, right? So this five-star experience, it isn't just about making a comfy, cozy place for Christians. This is about giving God our best and creating a place where people can feel valued and loved. If we don't take care of this place, what, what kind of image does that paint of our God? We're working hard and we're pouring in time and effort into people's experiences because, yeah, it's for them, but also we want to give God's house our very best. Amen? Okay, one, we're expecting. Two, we set the tone. Four, generous with our time, talent, and treasure. Five, we create five-star experiences. Six, we do more by doing less. We do more by doing less. Uh, I'll read this passage here. Luke 10, verses 38 through 42, it says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the pre preparations she had to make. And she came to him and asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. You know, I get this image where Jesus is sitting here and he goes, and then thy father said to me, and Mary's just sitting here just listening. She's like, man, you are just incredible, Jesus. I just, and Martha's over here, you know, wiping down the counters, trying to cut the chicken and cut the peppers because she's trying to make dinner and she's over here. Are you serious? Did you get her? Right? She even, she even reprimands Jesus. She's like, Lord, uh, come on. And Jesus goes, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. He says, or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it'll not be taken away from her. I think there's been times and seasons as a church where we had good intentions, but as we discussed in this meeting, we're trying to do groups and lessons and meetings and classes and services and multi-services and, you know, and it's like, you know what, let's just strip down to the basics so we can focus on the important things here. So we don't, so we, we want to simplify everything we do to keep the non-negotiables, to keep the important things, the important things and to not be distracted. Amen? Okay, I'll go to number seven here. One, we're expectant. Two, we set the tone. Three, we're better together. Four, generous with our time, talent, and treasure. Five, we create five-star experiences. 
Six, we do more by doing less. And seven, it's a good one. They're all good. The seven, we're never finished. We're never finished. A few months back at our men's gatherings, we uh, went through this verse, and I think it's so good. Second Peter verses, or chapter one, verses five through eight, it says, for this very reason, make every effort to add. Everybody say add. Add to your faith goodness. And then when you add goodness, add knowledge. When you add knowledge, add self-control. Self-control, add perseverance. Then add godliness. And then godliness, mutual affection, and mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, a.k.a. when you continue to grow in these qualities, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. There's, there's this calling on this house and calling for the members of this house to never stop growing. We're never finished. There's always more to do. Right? There's, uh, there's always room for me to add to my faith. Uh, there, there's always more souls to reach in our community as a church. There's always more people to win to Jesus. We always have room to grow spiritually, relationally, emotionally. We're never finished. We've never arrived, and it's sad because you can go all over America, and I'm not trying to throw stones here, but you can see churches who have had 15 people for 50 years. They stopped growing. We're, we're never done growing, right? We, we never stop growing. We're never finished. And today I'm asking all of you, here, here's all seven of them. I'm asking you, are you willing to be all in in 2020? Are you expectant for the year ahead? Are you willing to make these a part of your vocabulary? Because our words, our vocabulary, what we say is going to drive the culture of this house. We got to commit to these seven core values. This is going to be who we are. Ben, you can come on up here. But here, here's the values for the house. And the last thing I want to challenge you with is, I don't know if you have or not, but with your family, your own family, uh, I want you to create core values for your own home. You know, we kind of have these jokes. Um, Abigail and I, we've been married for a few years, and as we go through kind of different season of life, I feel like we've dug up some of our core values. And one, one of our family core values, something we're always going to say, even as we have kids, and our kids are going to know, Griffiths have integrity. Griffiths have integrity. And how it came to be is a pretty funny story. We're walking through Walmart. Abigail grabs something. She decides, oh, this isn't what I wanted. I like this better. So she takes it and she slips it on the shelf, not where she got it from, okay? <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, Abigail, <laughs> Griffiths have integrity. Bring it back. And our kids are going to know. Griffiths, she's used it on me plenty of times, but I'm not going to use those. <laughs> Griffiths have integrity, though. It's one of our core values. Another core value we have is Griffiths will always be a part of a life group. It's transformed everything about our lives. We know that community is so important, so it doesn't matter what season of life we're in, we're always going to be involved in a life group. It's a non-negotiable for our family. Really, I couldn't think of any more, so that's what we got so far, and we're, at, we're adding to them. So make some core values for yourself, but are y'all ready to commit to these core values together? Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. 
You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.